This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots. You are listening to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Chad Pytel, and with me today is Irene Ross. This is episode 131, and Irene is a data visualization practice lead at Boku. Welcome, Irene. Good to be here. Hi, guys. We are on like a data visualization role. Last episode, I had Joanne, who's a developer at ThoughtBot in Denver, and we talked about our end-of-the-year report and the data visualization that went into that. And I look forward to uh, jumping into your work at Boku and talking about data visualization. But first, I want to ask you about Lotus Notes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what do you want to know? What do you want to know? Are you all flustered? I, uh, I'm, I'm flustered if only because I got in trouble for saying something terrible about Lotus Notes at a presentation recently. And a guy came up to me and said, did you know I was the, I was the co-founder of Lotus Notes? And and I just kind of wanted to bury my head in the sand. So. Who, were the co-found- it was, who was the co-founders of Lotus Notes? It was uh, I um, wasn't there that long. Okay. <laughs> so what was the work you did on Lotus Notes? So you did Lotus Notes right out of school, right? Yeah, so after college, I joined IBM, and I went to work on, actually, the Domino server. So it's kind of the mail and application server that backed up, um, that backed notes, uh, Lotus Notes. And I worked on this experimental piece called uh, the Web Admin, which was written to be basically a web administration client for the server, but before Ajax requests existed, it was just this really crazy, awesome hack that the guy, the primary developer, came up with. I think he may have actually submitted a patent for an Ajax request that I think didn't get granted. <laughs> um, and so I kind of worked on trying to make some of those UIs that they had in the desktop client on the web. Did this ship? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So I w- worked at a company in Central Mass that used Lotus Notes. Mm, and sorry. I'm pretty sure that we used this web admin thing for a little while. But yeah, it was not... Nope. You know, <laughs> we're, are we supposed to not say anything? the the co-founder of Lotus Notes may be listening to this, uh, so we don't want to say anything too bad. But uh, well, we can. Who am I kidding? We can say anything we want. Um, but what stack were you working in to do that web admin stuff? Oh man, um, I mean, it was written at the time in using Lotus Script, mm-hmm. um, and then obviously there was some form of HTML. I kind of blocked it out for the most part. There was some C++ in there. There were a lot of like files that were 30,000, 40,000 lines of code, and you'd kind of go in there and, and hope for the best. <laughs> wow. Why did you decide to go there after graduation? Well, uh, I actually I didn't. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I took a job with a different group at IBM when I was in my senior year, but that was very early, like September or something or October. And then by the time I actually started in the summer, that group had been decommissioned and a bunch of people absorbed in this other group. And so I sort of found myself in this new place and... Um, I hadn't really yet. I knew the web was cool, and I and I, I thought, oh, you know, I kind of like to do some stuff in the web. And the initial group was all web oriented stuff, but um, you know, it was so. I'm gonna date myself here, but you know, like Rails was not even a 1.0 yet, uh, so things mm-hmm. were pretty new, and this, this seemed pretty good for a while. So you did that for how long? 
Um, I was in that group for about two years. Mm -hmm. um, and then I joined IBM Research to work on visualization stuff. Now, Lotus was part of IBM while you worked there, right? Mm -hmm. But it's sort of a separate thing. So did you need to find and apply for that other job? Well, at the time, it's a little bit easier to get transferred between positions at IBM mm -hmm. as long as people sort of have space. Uh, but I had met the uh, co-founders of that group at the time, Martin and Fernanda, and they gave a talk about this project called Many Eyes, which was at the time like uh, the YouTube of data visualization and uh, with much nicer comments. <laughs> I just loved their talk so much and I kind of just hounded them after and said, oh, please, please, can I come work with you? And they found some way to bring me in like on a temporary basis and then I, I stayed. And that, that was pretty exciting because I didn't know at the time that um, I'm a, a very visual person and I always have been. And then I've also been a programmer since I was like nine. And those two things never really came together until I saw their talk. And I was like, wait a minute, I can do both of these things in, in one piece. Why has no one told me about this field? You did, yeah, so you didn't even know that it was really an option? No, because the CS department that I went to, where I got my degree, which I love to death, uh, I love the department at UMass Amherst. But at the same time, it was kind of a very theoretical, very CS-heavy program. And data visualization sort of, for me, falls under this more human-computer interaction mm -hmm. umbrella. And I really didn't know it existed while I was there. Um, I kind of, you know, I did a lot of software engineering-related stuff, and that was something I was really interested in, just the general practice of doing it well. And then I discovered the web towards the end, and that was pretty cool. Wait, so you, after this talk on data visualization, you just went up to the people and said, I want to work on this. But you hadn't done it before? No. So did you have to prove yourself? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The the three years I was there okay. <laughs> was a constant proving of myself. <laughs> was, okay. But, I mean, it was good. I joined, and actually, first I helped um, port the that many eyes application to Ruby on Rails. At the time, it was written in something called Hibernate, which was incredibly slow, and uh, they really couldn't handle the load they were experiencing. So I came in to help with that side because I had been working in Rails for a while on my own. And then kind of more weaseled my way into doing visualization work. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I was a kind of a grunt at first. A grunt. It's funny that you should say that, right? It's about, I'm about to ask you about Boku. Sure. <laughs> um, but, but before we go into Boku, tell me more about the kind of work you did. You know, I think people hear data visualization and they maybe have something in their mind about what that actually means. But what are some of the things you actually did? beyond just porting that. And, and Sure. So at the time, the group was sort of chartered with trying to figure out how data visualization um, can function in social context. So we were a part of a bigger group that was doing that type of research. And, um, you know, for us, Many Eyes was a really interesting experimentation platform because we got to try the new visualization styles, but also see how people interacted with them. So, um, you know, I kind of helped facilitate on the development side different experiments of like, you know, if you put in a text visualization, what are people going to visualize? Turns out they'll visualize the contents of their freezer, you know, <laughs> various things like that. So I was there to see a part of that. And then after that project, I got very interested in visualizing text because we have a lot of it and it's very unstructured. And there's, um, I think machine learning was like less of a buzzword then, but I kind of found out about it um, through a coworker and it seemed really fun. Uh, and I was also really into the open government movement. I just wanted to open all the data and all the things. 
And um, so we kind of combined those two uh, into another research project that myself and my collaborator at the time, Yannick Asagwa, who's now also a doku, uh, worked on called Many Bills, where we tried to make federal legislation more easy to read, particularly we wanted to be able to find pork in, um, uh, in bills that were going through. Um, and that was really interesting. It was a super interesting experience. I learned a ton about machine learning and a ton about visualization. It was the first time that I really had to like battle with the web to deal with performance and rendering thousands and thousands of things fast um, and handling a lot of different user interactions. So that's really when I, I feel like I became a good, a good front-end developer on that project. And I also learned that people will just not read congressional legislation no matter how cool <laughs> we make it. <laughs> Along the path of data visualization, you started picking up these web technologies. And I think it's important to say, again, at IBM, you were in a research laboratory, right? Um, well, at IBM, I was in two different groups. Mm -hmm. And the first one, I was uh, just two years, was that Lotus Domino group, where I was working on web-related stuff. Um, but on my own time, I was learning Rails and mm -hmm. building silly things with that. So I was already somewhat versed in web technology. Um, but then when I came to the research group, my first task there was to help port many eyes, which was a pretty big Rails application. Yeah. And then that's when I kind of got into the data visualization side mm -hmm. of things too. When you're working in a research laboratory, are the constraints different? Do you have deadlines or milestones or pressures that are similar to what you have now? Or is it different? Um, it's different in, in some ways, and it's very similar in others. I mean, we still have pressures uh, a lot of times they're academic deadlines for papers so mm -hmm. the collaborators that I worked with were researchers who published in um, conferences pretty regularly so we would try to have certain experiments up at certain times and um, we the kind of development staff had to support them I think this isn't you know we work with clients at Boku and that's not a concept we necessarily had but we still had the rest of IBM that wanted to know what we were doing and mm -hmm. um, exactly how we were spending our time. So there was still that level of accountability to whoever kind of provided you with funding <laughs> to do your research. So where does the funding come from? I know you're, you weren't necessarily <laughs> up in the high, high up echelons of IBM research groups, <laughs> but where does the funding come from? Why does IBM do it? Well, I think it comes from different places. Sometimes, a lot of times it comes from internal IBM you know, higher level research groups. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why IBM would fund research in general, right? It's uh, a much sexier kind of area to draw attention to IBM through, right? Mm -hmm. um, more Probably more exciting than server racks. So for like for the same reasons that they put Watson on Jeopardy, they also do research yeah. into data visualizations because it keeps... Things yeah. interesting. I mean, I mean, Watson was a research project right. um, to start with, and then because it was so popular and exciting, um, a lot of the research does feed back into products and hardware and things like that. And a lot of like the visualization work we did um, ended up getting fed into various products. So either the visualizations themselves or different kind of lessons that we learned. So they do look at it as a place where people can experiment more. Because I think when you're in a product group, you just you go, you work on software every day and you have deliverables and no one kind of gets to, you know, get up and say, I have this crazy idea and let's make it so. Mm -hmm. So that but was in the research side that can sort of happen. Yeah. And like a much more structured uh, process heavy way. <laughs> yeah. Was it, what was it like working at IBM in a research group that, how many people was it? 
Um, it was really small, oh, okay. uh, at least our, our facility. Uh, we belonged to a bigger group um, in New York, but we were about 30 people. And it was great. I mean, people were doing all kinds of interesting work. And we felt pretty a part of IBM, but also got to be a little bit protected, I think, mm-hmm. from being in this much larger space. I think towards the end of my tenure there and part of why I joined Bokru was because I was working on the web and I was learning all about open source and relying more and more on these tools. And that was something that was hard to do. Uh, I think that's improved a lot. People, IBM contributes a lot to open source and all those things I think have gotten a lot better. But at the time, it was really hard to get approval to use open source software in production code. And it was so weird to us because we were just a bunch of developers who just wanted to build cool stuff. And no one wanted to like sit there and fill out a 10-page form about jQuery 1.73 you know, I just did 1.72. Um, <laughs> so towards the end there, I found myself doing that a lot more and feeling like this was not fun. <laughs> so uh, I thought, okay, I'd like to be in a place where I can be more free in using this, but also being able to give stuff back. I got to that point where I would like see bugs and fix the bugs and didn't know how to pipe them back to people legally. Mm-hmm. So. so how did you find Boku? Um, it's not really exciting. I think I just Googled open source Boston and they came up. So (laughs) that's not exciting at all. It's not exciting at all. (laughs) I saw these rooster stickers everywhere and I was like, where did they come from? No, that that was it. (laughs) Yeah. If anyone out there sees a rooster sticker, it's probably put there by someone who either works at or Don't tell them. Oh, I'm not supposed to tell people? No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. (laughs) And they're not just in Boston, the stickers. They're, They're in lots of different places. They're everywhere. So you just applied? Yeah. <laughs> and what was the interview process like? Um, I don't remember um, too much of it. It's been a while. But I do remember I needed to bring a piece of code uh, that I could show folks. And um, I brought in this like really stupid little color library that I wrote for another project. And I remember showing it to Rick Waldron, who kind of sat down with me and like in the nicest possible way tore it apart and it was awesome and I thought oh this is so great because I want someone to tear my code apart like this every day and that's kind of what sold me actually is that I thought okay I want to work with this guy. (laughs) Were you applying to Boku or interested in that so that you could continue doing data visualization stuff or were you really looking to move into the greater web platform? Um, I think at the time I was pretty ready to move to the web platform in general. I um, I had been interviewing in a few other places and just kept bumping into stuff that Boku has done. Uh, I remember interviewing somewhere and they were using PopcornJS and said, oh, look at this cool thing we did with PopcornJS. And then I interviewed Boku and and someone said, look, Rick wrote PopcornJS. Right. I was like, well, I guess I should take that into account. Um, so I was pretty excited about doing things in JavaScript because I, I felt like I reached this magical point where I could make really cool performant things and now I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the early things you did at Boku? Um, let's see. I remember working on one pretty exciting project and that's kind of what also brought me back to data visualization with AngelList, uh, which is basically a database. Well, not just a database. At the time, uh, from from my perspective, it mm-hmm. was a database of startup information. Yeah, I and... think it pretty much started that. I think they they always had the bigger vision in mind, but it definitely did start mostly as this is a database of startup companies. Yeah, exactly. And eventually, we're going to connect them to funders and and make that happen. Yeah, right, which is what they do now, uh, I think. But um, at the time, they basically put together an API, 
and said, hey, you know, we want to do something cool with this. Do you guys want to try it out? And um, it was fascinating because they had information about startups, so different metadata um, about them, but then also uh, cool numbers like um, what the valuation was and how much follow, how many followers they had and just kind of general follower patterns over time. And so I was pretty interested in just seeing if there were any particular patterns there. And so we built a little exploratory interface called Startup Data Trends. And it was very rough and we didn't have a ton of time. And after I built it, I had like way more questions <laughs> than I did in the beginning, which is a, a good thing I strive for. But that kind of brought it back for me mm-hmm. of saying, okay, I want to do data visualization, but on the web. Was there anyone at Boku who had a similar background in terms of data visualization or was it just you? Um, I don't think at the time um, necessarily, but I think people were definitely doing really interesting things with CSS and mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is sort of a, a necessary uh, evil cousin mm-hmm. <laughs> doing uh, data visualization sometimes. So, yeah. It's, it seems looking at, you know, hearing about the projects that you worked on that you did keep on coming back to the visualization. And your your title before used to be just senior developer, right? Yeah, I definitely came back to them a lot. I think in part because after you do data visualization for a while, everything looks like data to you. Right. Tweets are data that just happen to be vertically stacked in a column. Um, so everything feels like you can aggregate it in some form and you can mm-hmm. ask it some question or find a good way to look at it, right? Like I've never found uh, a good HTML table that I didn't want to somehow compress into some kind of in- piece of information. And so it just feels very natural to, to me to do that. Um, definitely one of those people who will like get a new board game and then go through all the pieces and then think, okay, what's the algorithm behind the, you know, the balance of all these resources? Cause you know, I just want to see what that, the underlying information is that mm-hmm. led to whatever it is I'm working with. So yeah, I mean, the web is, is like a one giant, awesome, unstructured, messy database. It's great. You think that perspective causes you to make different decisions in the way you build things or in the way you approach what you're building? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think the the biggest change I've may have, I've noticed is that I I have a a stronger drive to ask why we should do anything. Uh, if you know if we're designing some piece of software with a client, for example, and they're asking for some crazy feature, I'll ask why. What what is what is the question you're answering, or what uh, is the goal of this thing? Especially because I think when we create sort of CRUD apps, it's really easy to say, well, I have these resources and I have these actions and I want to do that with all of them. But uh, you can sort of, you know, obviously invest time in the wrong avenues, <laughs> the wrong features. So I think I, I'm very curious to always try and find the motivation for how to build something. How might someone who is quote unquote, just a developer start to learn you know, the concepts of, of organizing data visually um, and get, start to get into that and apply it to their work? Is there good resources or books? Sure. You know, I say just a developer, but I, I also feel like I'm, I'm just a developer. I right. just happen to like wield some magical D3 powers and some other <laughs> libraries like that. Um, I think there's definitely a huge growth on the web in terms of being able to do data visualization really easily. So if you're someone who works with jQuery a lot, there's going to be a lot of little plugins that you can use to 
kind of um, bring smaller charts maybe into um, into your application. And then going all the way to a library like D3, which is pretty much the de facto standard these days for um, working with data visualization and SVG um, or the DOM on the web. And it's incredibly powerful. It's a little complicated, but um, there are so many resources and such a strong community behind it that I feel like of all the libraries that you probably have out there, it's probably the most important one um, to look at. And I'd also say, you know, the the first kind of approach should be looking at your data and just saying, you know, what interfaces do I have here that are actually really hard to read? Like if you're building an analytics platform, you know, and you have a giant table of data, what what are you hoping people will look at? You know, talk to your users or clients or whatnot and kind of say, okay, here's the question they're trying to answer. And then from that, I would say uh, getting familiar with just the different visualization types that exist. Everybody knows a, a bar chart and a, you know, maybe a line graph or a pie chart. Um, and there's a whole collection of them. Uh, and there's definitely some resources that will just go through some of those types of charts and, you know, talk about when you should use them. Do you know um, off the top of your head what one that you might recommend is? Um, I don't. I have, okay. I have many lists, and I'll, I can definitely forward those along. But cool, we can include some of them in the show notes, um, which cool. you can find at giantrobots.fm/slash/one-three-one, and uh, follow that in your podcatcher and check that out. So we've sort of glossed over, I think, what Boku is. I, I was, mm-hmm. I'm sort of taking for granted that some people know. We've had previous people from Boku on the show. Um, but how would you describe what Boku is? To me, Boku is an open web technology company that is focused on bringing openness and transparency to information through technology. And we sort of work across different angles to doing that, right? So uh, one of which is uh, consulting. Obviously, that's our, our primary work. We work with clients to help them bring open source technology to their um, their companies, their practices, not just the technology, but even just the way that you work on the open web has um, been really exciting for us to see folks adopt. Uh, but it also, very importantly, we work on our education initiative. So, you know, we want to teach engineers to use the open web and be a part of the open web. And um, uh, the last one being community, right? Uh, the open web wouldn't exist if people didn't contribute back, uh, if people didn't belong to groups that they then wanted to improve. And so anything from the open source software we build to the conferences we run, I run a conference called OpenVizConf, and uh, all those kinds of endeavors um, help us kind of keep those communities floating and keep the ideas coming. So between those three different things, I feel like we cover a lot of ground. Yeah. When you say open web, what do you mean by that? To me, the open web is one that anyone can participate in, Um, you know, especially being maybe um, ha- having worked at a bigger company, I should say, where I didn't always have the luxury of using open source software. And I've definitely had to use vendored software uh, that was licensed and very expensive and very large and poorly documented and had no community. I know just how costly that is in terms of time and how, how painful it is to use. Um, so to me, anyone should be able to do anything that they want on the web. So I should have no disadvantage in comparison to, you know, someone who works at large company so-and-so and, and, you know, someone living in uh, a rural area uh, should have the same exact capabilities that I do. And so to me, obviously that's a very large problem. It's not just about technology, you know, software, it's about infrastructure and access and 
access to even computing devices, but um, all those things are changing and we're, we're evolving in ways that will, I think, open that door to a lot more people. And I'm, I'm very excited because I think that um, is definitely very core to our mission. Mm-hmm. Is that something you, you know, believed in and, and sought out in joining Boku or has it grown on you over time? <laughs> um, no, I, I think that that is something I've always believed in, even if I wasn't necessarily sure. Um, I'm several times an immigrant and uh, my family has been through a lot and uh, have always sacrificed a lot to let me kind of be a part of this computing world. And uh, I think it's important for everyone to have that opportunity. And I think it could be made a lot easier for so many different groups uh, and very quickly, right? Um, some, it's, it's hard to maybe put insane infrastructure uh, towards really remote areas, but it's not so hard to, you know, help the Science Club for Girls get laptops for their summer program, uh, things like that. So small steps forward, I think, can go a long way. So what is some of the work you've been doing to that end in either visualization stuff or, or just in general? Sure. Um, well, I'd mentioned the Science Club for Girls, and I know um, that's an organization we've been involved with for a while at Boku. We uh, mentored some uh, high school level uh, girls over the summer, um, which is really exciting. They kind of came and learned a lot about the web and uh, worked on kind of learning how to do websites and write little web applications. And uh, it was really exciting for us to see some some of their progress. And uh, we also, uh, our Boston JS meetup um, that, that my colleagues run, uh, now it kind of takes donations and passes them on to the Science Club for Girls. In general, in terms of uh, open source software, that's something that's important to everyone at Boku. Uh, my angle to that has been um, the OpenViz conference, which we run, uh, which has been something I wanted to do for a really long time. Because when I started in this field, uh, as you've mentioned before, I didn't know what I was doing. I just begged these people to take me in, and they did. And then I kind of had to learn everything on my own. And um, it was a great experience, and uh, but not the easiest. And uh, I definitely found the community a little bit harder to enter into at the time. I didn't have any qualifications or anything. And I really wanted to change that. I wanted it to be easier to anyone for anyone to say, well, I want to work with data visualization. What are my options? And so OpenViz was kind of born to support that. We keep the conference really affordable. That's really important to us. And we bring in practitioners who uh, will talk about uh, the tools that they use and the process that they put together and um, any patterns or any information that is of an educational nature. Um, we don't really do portfolio talks, for example. And that's important for the community we're trying to foster because I want that collaboration and that sharing and that conversation to exist. And then, you know, the same for the Boston DataViz meetup. It's a huge meetup. We're over a thousand members. And, you know, I try to organize those every month or two and, and bring in speakers who can really talk a lot about their practice and offer information that other people can use. Mm -hmm. And this open web stuff comes into your play in your client work too, right? Can you talk about some of the client work you've done? Um, sure, definitely. When we work with clients, we definitely work on on the open web platform. So we will help them set up anything from deployment and build processes using using open web tools like Grunt or Gulp or you know whatever the appropriate tools are to then using um, open source libraries where we can. Mm -hmm. um, and we generally, the way that our agreement works with, with clients is that if we write any software that does not 
um, encapsulate any kind of trade secrets or business logic that we can release it as open source software on the web. Um, and that's really exciting. A lot of our clients really get it and um, they're excited to work with us because it kind of sells itself. We were saying, we, okay, we wrote this library and we can put it up on the web and hundreds of people may use it and support it or you can close source it and rely on your two developers to <laughs> maintain it forever. So they 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 really bought into bought into that, which is really exciting for me. And so that's something we do very frequently. Uh, we'll release libraries, or um, our clients will release them if uh, they want to be the primary holders of them, and that's great. So your title now at Boku is Data Visualization Practice Lead. Is that new? It's about maybe a year or so mm-hmm. old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole um, concept of practices. What, what does that mean? I was talking to Boaz recently about mm-hmm. it and he he said that it's been the source of some uh recent change mm-hmm. embracing pra- the concept of practice leads more yeah definitely i think one of the cool things about boku is that we have these amazing experts that are mm-hmm. experts on all kinds of things i happen to be um into data visualization but um we have folks who have done video game work for a really long time and are just incredible at it uh, you know, we have Corey who wrote the animation library, jQuery. He knows everything there is to know about graphics, right? So, um, and what we haven't really figured out how to do is how to highlight that, you know, because if you, client A, want to come work with us and there happens to be someone who's an incredible expert in this field, um, you should know that because it's just going to make you want to work <laughs> with us more. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of uh, in the process of figuring out how to how to do that, how to sort of support people's expertise while also being, you know, this great bunch of web developers. Right. So. I imagine if you sort of get pigeonholed, you could, there's a risk that you get pigeonholed or that you become a bottleneck because you're the only one who can do data <laughs> visualization or whatever and, and stop work stops because it's waiting on you to get to it or that kind of thing. I think that that's a potential risk with having those segments. Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely is possible. Thankfully, I'm definitely not the only person. We, <laughs> we have, we have, we're a team now, and um, my collaborator, Yannick Asagba, who um, I work with very closely on projects, and the cool thing is there's actually quite a few folks at Boku who have done some data visualization work and people who have taken my D3 class. So there's about four or five people who are definitely capable of picking anything uh, I would leave if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, <laughs> which let's hope won't happen. Yeah, let's let's hope that doesn't happen. Speaking of what you might want to do tomorrow if you didn't get hit by a bus, what's the next thing you want to like tackle? Is there anything that you're really excited about? Oh, wow. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm working on the conference for, for April, and there's a lot of cool things that we want to do this year that we haven't gotten to do before. Yeah, and what's um, the URL for the conference? Oh, uh, it's at openvizconf.com. And uh, our, our tickets are on sale, and our speaker lineup was announced a couple weeks ago. And the dates are April? April 6th and 7th. It's going to be held in the beautiful Calderwood Theater um, in uh, Back Bay, which is incredible. We got that venue. And we kind of, because it's this beautiful art theater, we get to do a lot of interesting things in the space, which we haven't gotten to do before. So I'm uh, pretty excited to uh, make it a really, really fun experience. And so I'm working pretty hard on the conference. I also run a big pro- uh, open source project called the MISO project. And uh, it's basically a collection of libraries that have to do with data and uh, visualization on the web. And um, our the last library that actually my uh, collaborator, Mike Panisi at Boku, championed called D3Chart is basically a wrapper around D3. 
that kind of helps you write not terrible code. And uh, it's a really awesome library, and we have a bunch of charts that we want to release that we've written for it. So um, that's also on the docket. If people wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? So many ways. I'm I'm on all the social things. Um, (laughs) They can uh, email me, just Irene at Boku, or um, I'm Irene Ross on Twitter. With one S. With one S. I lost one S in transition. (laughs) (laughs) Irene, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me today. It's not super often that people come into the studio to talk and it's always nice to see people in person it's it's great to be here thanks guys that's about it for episode 131 of giant robots smashing other giant robots as i said you can get the show notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm slash 131 this episode is produced and edited by tom obarski thanks and see you next week